right. All right. I love that. Jeremy, nice job. Nice find, whatever that was. Man, love it. Hey, welcome, everybody. Good morning. And welcome to Discover Community Church out there online, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is. I keep looking over here, but it's over there. Um, just glad that you guys are here. Um, God is doing something special here. Um, Pastor Gabe and I were talking this morning about all the venue stuff, and I just had this, this vision of fields. Anybody ever drive out east in the time when, when the fields are starting to come up? You can see the crops, and you can look at a crop and go, that eh, crop's already struggling. Or you can look at it and go, man, in a few months when that's ready for harvest, it's going to be amazing. And I just see everything that's happening around us as this as this crop that has everything it needs. It's got the soil, it's got water, it's got life, and it is growing. It's not ready for harvest yet, but it's going to be exciting when it gets there. And I just, I'm so full of excitement for the things that God is doing around us and through us. And, and it's just, it's a blessing to be able to be here and share this with you guys. Um, so we are in Works of the Heart. When I say Works of the Heart, that's the title of this message series, what do you think of? Like, what immediately comes to mind if I, if I said, you need to go do some works of the heart? Volunteer stuff. It should be something not like, here's a list of things I need done. I want you to do it. And that's nice, but shouldn't it just flow from your heart? Shouldn't it be kind of spontaneous, like you see something and go, I need to do that, or I want to do that? And should it always be something that's driven by the church? Okay, now as a pastor, I want to say, yes, you should always be 100% focused on the church and what we need and doing things here. But that's not really it, is it? It should be spontaneous. It should light a fire in your heart. And you should say, I want to go do that, wherever it is in the world. There's some amazing stuff going on in the world right now, isn't there? We're going to talk more about that in a second. But since my notes have me talking about that in just a minute, I'm going to get to these other things first. We're in the epistle of James. If you're new here, haven't been here in a while, an epistle is just a letter. And it's a letter that James wrote to the, the Jewish diaspora, to use a... Fa- uh, a churchy word, but it's a group of Jews who had converted to becoming followers of Jesus. And they're scattered all over the, all over the world, the known world at that time, scattered all over the place because they've been chased out of their homes by the Roman occupation. And James is writing to them saying, remember who you are. Remember who you're called to be. I know you're going through a lot of stuff right now, but remember, even in the midst of all this stuff, you are still who God called you to be. And so no matter what we're going through, no matter where we are, we have to remember we are who God called us to be, and we should live our lives like that. So that's exactly where we are. And James says that if your if you're faith in God, if your belief in Jesus and your heart for him doesn't produce fruit in your life that's visible to others, if people can't see a change in your life, then what good is it? That's going to be the focus of our message today. Last week, first of all, thank you to Pastor Gabe for teaching last week. I hope you guys were blessed by that message. I'm, I'm always blessed listening to her, her heart for everybody as she teaches. 
But she talked about the sin of prejudice and partiality. That was kind of the, the fancy word for it. But essentially, it was... Paul taught that all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter if you are dressed to the nines and having your best day ever, or if you're wearing rags and you're having your worst day, or maybe a series of worst days. Jesus died for you. And shouldn't we do our best, if we're supposed to be the reflection of Jesus to this earth, shouldn't we do our absolute best to see each other not as we want to see them, not as, wow, you're dressed great, uh, you're not dressed, maybe you haven't showered in a while, you sit up here. Shouldn't we do our best to see each other as Jesus sees us, as Jesus sees those that we come across? That should really be our focus, and that's exactly what Pastor Gabe taught last week, and I, I, I love that. Aren't you thankful that the grace of Jesus isn't dependent on his first impression of you? on whatever day he happens to catch you on. I am. I'm thankful for that. So this week, this week we're in, in chapter 2. We're actually finishing chapter 2. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And the kind of the subtitle is Faith and Works. This gets right at the heart of what, what James is teaching, but also this tension between James and Paul where Paul is saying, hey, it's, it's, you are saved by faith alone, not by works. Clearly says that. There's no ambiguity there, right? And then James says, um, faith without works is dead. So how do we reconcile those two things? We're going to try and do that today. But before we get there, I want to, and I want to just ask for your grace for this video. I put together a five-minute video, I think it's five minutes plus or minus, about what's going on in our country today. And I want you to watch it, and then I'm going to talk about it for a minute afterwards. So just pay attention to this video. Um, it's some clips that you've seen. It has to do with the, with the revival that's going on in, in Asbury College um, and, and dozens of campuses all over the world. Uh, but watch this, and then we'll talk about it after. We've got a great good news story to start off. It's been a week since the regular Wednesday chapel at Asbury University in Kentucky. Well, it turned into something far more. It turned into the manifest presence of God. God has been moving among the students and faculty, and people are traveling to the university to join in this move of God. Well, one student told CBN News he prays this revival when, will encourage churches and pastors and stir up a hunger for the Lord. Wendy Griffith brings us the story from Wilmore, Kentucky. The revival here at Asbury is now in its sixth night as hundreds of people have come from near and far to just enjoy the presence of God. Even though it's almost midnight, this auditorium is still packed with people that are still two evenings, we've estimated well over 3,000 people that are here and at these different locations uh, to worship the Lord. Were you prepared for this? No, there is no, there's no playbook for this. We're still trying to create some space for what's happening here. 
And so that's a delicate balance and we're trying to manage that as thoughtfully and faithfully as we can and just steward what's happening on campus. skeptical at first just because growing up with my church we never had anything like this and so I just wasn't used to the idea of a revival um, but the longer it's gone on I've realized that if God wants it to happen it's going to happen. My prayer is that this will encourage churches, encourage pastors, encourage disbelievers um, and just stir up a hunger for the Lord because again it's not, it's not about Asbury, it's about Jesus. The fire that started here at Asbury is reportedly spreading as students from nearly two dozen other college campuses have come here to take part in the services. And what got started here a week ago is showing no signs of stopping. Wendy Griffith, CBN News, Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. Here on the night team, it started small and has now grown to a major event making national news a revival of healing and comfort that's been going on for a full week at Asbury University in Central Kentucky. The Evangelical Christian School is located in Wilmore, just 20 minutes south of Lexington. WHS 11's Alexis Jones and photojournalist Jessica Fardley and Ian Hardwit have more on the crowds packing the small town. The power of worship. Reverence. Hundreds waited outside of Asbury University's chapel to be a part of the spiritual breakthrough. A trending topic on social media ever since the football Monday night game has been prayers for DeMar. Even analysts on the NFL network bowed their heads and prayed together on the air. So have our Buffalo Bills inspired a national moment. Reporter Richard Solomon is here to see what local faith leaders are saying about that. Richard? Well, Mary Alice, by now you've seen this picture almost everywhere. It represents unity. You see people of different stripes, colors coming together, praying to now people praying all over the world for DeMar. And this is something local spiritual leaders that I spoke with this evening tell me they have never seen before. From the moment DeMar Hamlin collapsed, one word, one action was seen around the world. That's what you have heard over and over, even from people who normally don't publicly talk about prayer. They've been comfortable now to say, pray for DeMar. Um, football gave me everything. You know, and I think even through the midst of absolute tragedy last night, I think you saw some of the beauty of football mm -hmm. as well, that it's brought us all here together. Um, you know, like, this is a little bit different. I heard, I've heard it all day, like thoughts and prayers. And you just heard Scherf and Jonathan Allen say, like, all we can do is pray for him. And I've heard the Buffalo Bills organization say, like, we believe in prayer. And maybe this is not the right thing to do, but I want to, it's just on my heart that I want to pray for it is. DeMar Hamlin right, right, right now. Um, I'm going to do it out loud. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to bow my head, and I'm just going to pray for him. Um, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard. Uh, because we believe that your God and coming to you and praying to you um, has impact. We're, we're sad, we're angry, um, and we want answers, but some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, to be with his family, to give them peace, if we didn't believe that prayer didn't work, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. Um, I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. 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 It's beautiful. Respectfully. 
it's awesome to watch moments like that. Um, and it's not, my prayer is that that's not the end of everything. You know, when you see, when you see things like that, picture it as a, as a flame. There are revivals that happen all over the place, all the time, in small pockets. And being in Colorado, we should be very familiar with what happens when you have these small pockets of flame that get fanned by the wind. What happens? They grow. And the embers from that flame will then carry sometimes miles away, land somewhere, and start a new fire. That's what revival is. So it's not all about like, hey, we all need to get on a bus and go to Asbury to see this happen. This is happening all over the world, all over our country. And it's, and it's a work of God, and it's God working in their hearts and working organically through the people. It's not something that was planned. Imagine if those people at Asbury, if they just said, you know, we just have such faith. This is, this is incredible. Let's just, let's just go home and dive into our word and just read our Bibles. Okay, that'd be great. But would we be talking about it today? Would the rest of the world be talking about it if they didn't say, let's put our faith out there. Let's let people see us exercising our faith. Not to be seen doing it, but to make him known. And then you have the people on, on ESPN and on football. Did you notice one of those clips was ABC, Network, talking about faith. ABC is one of the favorite networks that I like to rail against because they're quite liberal in many ways as far as when it comes to let's talk about faith or let's don't talk about faith. ESPN, same way. Sports network should be liberal or should be, should be, um, what's I'm looking for? Neutral. Sports ought to be neutral, but it's not. If you watch ESPN, you know he's openly praying on network TV in front of millions of people. Imagine if he just said, you know what, I have this strong faith and I really feel led to pray, but I'll do it later when I'm not on TV because I don't want to get in trouble. Imagine. What it takes is walking out in faith, seeing, seeing that fire and saying, I'm going to let that fire burn in me. I'm going to fan it. I'm going to do what I can to show that light to others. When we talk about works of the heart, that's what that is. That's not manufacturing a situation so that we can then look at us, look at what we're doing and how holy we are. It's letting God work and fan that flame in your heart that then causes embers to go out all over the world and start new fires and new flames. And then before we know it, the whole world is on fire for the Lord. That's what we should want. And as Christians, we have a choice. We can help fan that fire we can let that fire grow in us, or we can dump water on it. Why would we do that? When I was Googling last night, trying to find little clips to put together for this, I was, I was looking up Asbury Revival clips just so I could get some really great, inspiring clips for that. And there's a lot of them out there, but there's also an equal number of people going, here's why I think the Asbury Revival is not genuine. Seriously. Damar Hamlin, the guy 
who was on his knees thanking the Lord for his very life and who created such a stir in people's hearts, showed up at the Super Bowl wearing a jacket, glorifying God. But guess what? The image of Jesus on there was not the right skin tone for a lot of people. And so along with a bunch of people going, hey, that, that's awesome that he is so excited and he's praising the Lord and he is just out there with his faith. There's a huge number of people going, that's blasphemous. I can't believe he would wear a jacket like that. People, what are we doing? Why do we squash that flame that's starting to be fanned in someone's heart? Why do we have to do that? I would say it's the devil wanting to do that. But sometimes it's just the spirit of pride in us. Well, that's not the way I would do it. Really? What are you doing to fan that flame all over this world on your own right now? Because if you are doing something, then let's talk about that. But if not, don't squash his. Don't put out his flame. That's what works of the heart is. Where's your heart? Is your heart to say, I know how to do it better and the correct way? So I'm just going to stomp all over the way you're doing it? Or am I just going to let this flow from my heart? This message that we're going to talk about today in James is so appropriate to that. And so I'm going to get in. I almost didn't want to teach this message as I had it written a few days ago. Um, but it, it fits what we're talking about here today. So I hope, I, hope, I, I know I'm already going to go a few minutes long because of the video and things. So I hope that you're okay with that because I think God's got something to say today. James 2, 14 through 26 is our scriptures for today. I'm going to read it just like I have been because they're small little bite-sized things. I'm going to read it and then we're going to go into it. James 2, 14 to 26, I'm in the New American Standard. What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to acknowledge, you foolish person, that faith without works is useless? Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says... And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Well, there's that faith versus works problem again. We're going to be dealing with that throughout this whole book of James. 
Remember when we started this series, I talked about the tension between what the Apostle Paul taught about justification by faith and what James seems to be teaching here. There are many Christians, most of them very well-meaning, who have fallen into this belief that when Jesus died, or when he came and died, offering salvation and grace through faith, that the law was no longer important. No longer valid, no longer important, no longer something we should even look at. And when I say the law, I'm talking primarily about everything that we call the Old Testament. Most of it. There are a lot of people who have fallen into that. Now, here's a little Bible nerd alert. If you take that idea to the extreme, it's, it's, a, it's a branch of people, a branch of theology, a branch of belief called antinomianists. If you're an antinomianist, what it means literally is it's Greek and it means you're against the law. Not against the law like I'm going to go out and steal something, but thinking that grace rules our lives and what we do far more than what the law was taught. The term was actually invented by Martin Luther to describe those who took freedom in Christ to the extreme. Now, if you don't remember Martin Luther, his stance was mostly in line with Paul's justification by faith. Why are we doing all this stuff? Let's quit doing stuff. We are justified by faith. But even he knew that people would take it too far. He knew that people would take it too far. The saying is, if I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, then obeying the law of Moses is no longer necessary. The short version, it's been called the doctrine of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I'll just keep doing whatever I want to do because... I'm already saved through Jesus, just through faith in him. It's got nothing to do with how I live my life or how I act. But again, even, even a reformationist like Martin Luther knew it would be taken too far. Now, there's a lot of problems with a theology like that. There's a lot, right? Even Paul realized the dangers of extreme reliance on grace. Romans 6.12, he said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may, be, may increase? Far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? He knew that was going to be a tension. James is going to let the theologians argue the details. He's going to tell us what a thriving life in Christ looks like. And as you hear this, listen to these scriptures we're going to talk about and apply it to your life as kind of a test. Kind of a test just between you and God as to whether your faith is alive and well, it's on life support, or it's dead. Let the, let the scriptures here convict you of that as we go. James 2.14, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So notice he says, someone says, and he claims, okay? So he's talking about someone else who claims to have faith, but apparently their life generally lacks any external evidence of that. Okay? They say they do, but eh, I'm not seeing it. In other words, it's an intellectual belief rather than the core of your being. 
like we've talked about before. He's talking about that faith. Can that kind of faith save him? James gives us now this this so practical example that may, I think it's going to resonate with all of us, if not most of us. Out there online, listen, listen to this. James 2, 15, 16. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Greeting card sentiments are a great idea. It's a great theory, but they're of little use if you're suffering. What if you were short on food or rent or, or health or medicine and someone gave you this? If you can see it. Love, joy, hope, peace, prosperity, happiness. You're like, I don't have enough money for rent, and I'm sick, and I'm alone, and I'm scared. But wait, I have that greeting card. Whip it out. I'm good. I don't need anything. I've got my greeting card. Look at those. Those sentiments are nice. But here's some Christian versions that we may hear. Okay, someone comes to you and says, I need food, I need help, I need, I need Jesus, any of these things. Here's what you may hear, the, the Christianese response, look, I've got to run, but I'll be praying for you. Or, well, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will guide you through this time. How about, I'm sure God's got a plan for all this. Or, man, I wish I had time to help. Anybody ever respond to that when faced with somebody in need? Maybe somebody responded that way to you. How much did that help? Now let's hear how it sounds if we add in a prideful spirit. Because as Pastor Gabe taught last weekend, the spirit of pride is very much at work in these sorts of things. If we add a prideful spirit into those very same things. Here's what it sounds like. I'd give that homeless guy a dollar, but he'd probably just drink it. Or I'd love to stop and help that person with the flat tire, but I'm late. Or I know I should, I should offer my spare bedroom to that person who needs a place to live, but in this society, you just never know. I'd love to help you move, but I'm just so busy. Or if I help them, I'm just enabling them to not do it on their own. That's what that sounds like when you add a spirit of pride in there. And in conversation, those kinds of statements are known as platitudes. Anybody ever heard the word platitudes? It's that weird mammal creature with the big flat tail that (laughs) slaps. No. It's a platypus for those of you who are out there. I am aware The definition of a platitude is this, from the dictionary. A platitude is a trite, meaningless, or prosaic statement often used as thought-terminating cliché aimed at quelling social, social, emotional, or cognitive unease. It's a way to shut down a conversation and let you get on with your life without carrying the burden of any awkwardness. 
Speaking of unease, am I making anybody here uneasy? I hope so. Church shouldn't be a place where you come to be comforted and told that everything's going to be great. You just keep doing what you're doing. Not church like this. It should be convicting, and it should make you a little bit uneasy. But it's nothing compared to what the Word of God said. Listen to James. James 2.17, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. In other words, an intellectual belief in Christ, an intellectual knowledge of the things that we ought to do in Christ is not enough to stand firm when it's put to the test. Because that kind of faith, that intellectual faith, not heart faith, will easily enable you to say, ah, I'd love to help, but man, the race starts in a couple hours and I've got to be home to watch it. It's easy if it's not coming from your heart. The most difficult test is often just overcoming the desires of your flesh and the things that you think are important. But before faith can be complete... It needs to be tested. We see that over and over again. And James is telling us that right here. Before faith can be complete, it has to be tested. Remember, there are people in James' flock right now, his, his flock that's been scattered from his church, that are arguing that you can show faith in a lot of ways. Okay, You show faith by doing a lot of things. I'll show faith by my pious attitude. James 2.18, we don't know who he's referring to, but he's got somebody in mind. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Some Christians are faith Christians and some are works Christians. That's kind of the dividing line that he's making here. But James, he just keeps charging ahead in this debate. Belief in God is easy. Acting on that belief is a little bit harder. So the next verse, the next verse that we're going to go to is paraphrased from what's called the Shema. Anybody ever heard of the Shema? Anybody knows what that is? Some of you do, Jackie. I know you know what that is. James, what the Shema is, is the Shema is a verse or a, or a series of verses. It's a prayer that is spoken by Jewish families. And they speak it at least once a day, but sometimes more than that. And it's as a reminder of who they are, and they speak it all the time. In other words, James' congregation here, his people reading this letter, would have really well known the connection he's making it here. It comes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And it goes on. Does anybody have one of these things on their doorpost? Or have you ever seen one? That thing that's off to the left there? Anybody raise your hand if you know what that is. All right, good, good. That is called a mezuzah. And a mezuzah is a typical, it's a traditional uh, Jewish thing, and what they do is that they mount that on their door, and inside of that, it's a little container, it's a little vial, and they, they all look different, and inside there is a roll of paper, a little scroll, 
And on that is written, typically the shame of prayer, written on that. And so anybody watch The Chosen? Anybody watching that series? Whenever you see them, when they walk inside of somebody's home, they almost always pat the door frame. And oftentimes it's because there's one of those there. If not, it's, it's a tradition that they do that. It's a blessing to a home. I have one on, on my home. It's, it's, a, it's a cool tradition. And again, it comes, it comes from this verse, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Again, this is the law as it's written down. Things we consider the law are dead and lifeless and restraints. This is so life-giving. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. That's where the tradition of the mezuzah comes in. So when James says this line, this one line, it would have really impacted them. James 2.19, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. You believe that God is one comes straight from that shame of prayer. But guess who also knows God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Demons. It's not enough to just know who they are who Jesus is intellectually. The demons know far more about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit than probably most of us ever will. But they act in opposition to everything that he does. So did James not just compare faith Christians to demons? You don't have to look a lot closer at that to see that that's what he just did but he gives them one more chance full grace gives them one more chance to see their error James 2:20. but are you willing to acknowledge you foolish person that faith without works is useless it's like oh my dear friend are you not as dense as a rock in the most loving possible way I'm going to ask you are you not getting this but now, like a good trial attorney, he's been holding his, his final argument, and he unveils this final argument. Remember, he's relying on their knowledge of Hebrew scriptures, and it's aimed right at the heart of the tension between what Paul teaches and what James teaches. James 2, 21-22. Was our father Abraham not justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works... Faith was perfected. Now, it wouldn't be a message if I didn't have a Greek lesson here, right? The word perfected. The word perfected is teleo. And teleo in the Greek means to consummate, reaching the end stage. For example, working through the entire process to reach the final conclusion. Okay, so it's not a thing that you're waiting to achieve. It's a process. You're working through this process. And only through the process can you get to that final part. It's not just something that happens immediately. James 2.23, he goes on. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. He's quoting from Genesis 15.6. If you want more on the story of Abraham, 
and his faith, read Genesis 22. It's, it's a wonderful example of faith. But the point that James is making here is that Abraham's works were both motivated and enabled completely by his faith in God. Motivated by his faith in God and enabled by his faith in God. That's the point that he's trying to make here. His works, the works of Abraham, the things that he did, offering up his son on the altar, and he was getting ready to go through with it, were evidence, outward evidence of this complete faith. And without acting on that faith, it was incomplete. What if God told him to do it and Abraham said, you know, I would, but eh, there's no need to really actually go through with it, right? You know I would, God, right? You know I would if you asked me, but there's no need to actually follow through. His faith was made complete by the fact that he was ready to walk it out, and he was doing it. James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by faith, by works, and not by faith alone. Again, that problem, it seems to directly contradict what Paul says in Romans 3.28. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Let's look at that a little bit closer because we've got another Greek lesson coming. Get ready. We maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. That sounds to be 100% in opposition to what James is saying until you look at the meaning of the word justified. A person is justified. Um, the word justified in the Greek is dikaio. And dikaio, the definition, is acquitted of all charges on the basis of evidence shown. I don't know if you got that. Acquitted of charges on the basis of evidence shown. So when Paul says, we maintain that a person is acquitted of all charges on the basis of evidence shown, by faith apart from works, and not by faith alone, and not by the works of the law, that it puts a different spin on it, doesn't it? If you think about what he's saying, it's the evidence in your life. It's not just saying, I have faith. It's the evidence that that faith creates that will be what acquits you, what justifies you. It meant a lot to me. I'm hoping some of you will get that later. James has one last point to make. James 2.25. In the same way was Rahab the prostitute not justified by works also when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Anybody remember the story of Rahab? It's from Joshua. Anybody remember that? I know the ladies in the Bible study know all about it. But she was a citizen of Jericho who had heard that Israel's army um, was mighty and it was coming and she believed it. She believed it. And Joshua 2.11 says, The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. And she believed it so strongly that when Israel's spies showed up to prepare for the battle against Jericho, she let them in and then helped them escape. She, she helped them a lot. And because of her actions, it says, God spared her and her family. What if Rahab heard that message from God and said, I believe. I believe. I'm, I've, I'm a new woman. I have changed. I believe. 
in God. But I don't need to do anything about it, right? My friends might see. I might get in trouble. She heard, she believed, and she acted on it. And she's immortalized in Scripture because she's an example. Read Joshua chapter 2 if you want more on that story. Now, we're getting near the end here. Jesus reminds us of what he, James reminds us of what Jesus told Nicodemus not that many nights ago about a lifeless faith, comparing it to a lifeless body. James 2.26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith, so also faith without works is dead. Notice James, James isn't contrasting two different kinds of salvation. We need to get that in our minds. It's not faith salvation versus works salvation. Salvation is the same. He's contrasting two different kinds of faith. So the question then, does it matter? Why does it matter what we do or don't do once we've accepted Christ? If it didn't matter, did you ever think about this? If it didn't matter, once you said yes to Jesus, wouldn't a loving God just say, come home and be with me? And so the minute you accept Christ, you are raptured and you're gone. That would make sense if there wasn't something more for us to do. And isn't it possible that the saving faith that James talks about at the very beginning of what we read today is not all about you? Is it possible? What else could it be about if not all about you? John says, John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. What does he mean by remain? That must mean that once you bear fruit, there's some part of that fruit that lives on and it matters beyond you. Could that be the lives that we touch? John 4, 36 Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. The one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. So really, it's about the harvest of those who would be the Lord's for eternity. That's the way I read that. Make no mistake, the fruit of your life matters in eternity. It matters in yours, it matters in those you love, and it matters in those that you meet. It matters. Jesus said this, he said this, this quote about false prophets, but it applies to all of us who are his laborers in the field. If you call yourself a follower of Christ, you are his laborer in the field. Matthew 17, 7, uh, 7 17 to 20. So every good tree bears <clears throat> Slow down. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. He's talking to us. And unless you live on an island all by yourself, Everything you do bears fruit. Is it going to be the kind of fruit that grows and nurtures someone? Or is it going to be the kind of fruit that squashes that ember of flame that's starting in somebody's heart? 
because it's going to bear fruit one way or another. Your words or your lack of words, your actions or lack of actions, your love for others or lack of love for others, your humility or your lack of humility, your boldness or your timidity, or your battle-hardened, trial-tested, complete faith in God, or your untested, incomplete, intellectual belief in God. They're going to bear different fruits, but they will all bear fruit. The great part is you get to decide. You get to decide. I know it's hard to practice, but the rewards are great. Paul said this to the Galatians, and it applies to so many things. Galatians 6.9, let us not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. We can't just say, man, I, I did my best for a week, and I just, that's all I could give. I could be on my best behavior. I could follow Christ. I could do all the things that I know I should be doing for a week or a day, and that's, yeah, I didn't see any fruit from it, so I'm just going to give up. We'll reap if we don't become weary. If you're like me, if you've been praying for revival, if you see those things on TV, if you hear the news stories about things that are going on, if you weigh, okay, that, that TV show, that program that I just saw was openly satanic. Anybody ever see anything like that recently? Openly satanic. And then right over here, we've got a revival of just the excitement and the fervor of God just happening randomly. We've got people on network TV praying out in the open, seemingly based on a random act. Think it's random? No. There's a war going on, and we get to decide. And maybe it's time that our actions and our lives back up that prayer for revival. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, light that fire in our hearts. Let us not just look at something that someone else is doing and say, yay, go them. Light that fire in our hearts and help us to fan that ember into flame. Let us spread embers of our own everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, let us leave little hot spots that can be fanned into flame on their own. Lord, I pray that this entire planet is engulfed by the flame of fire and fever and furor for you, passion for you. I pray that you use us, each one of us, in our own little way. It's not up to us individually to light this whole fire. But help us to nurture the flames that come our way and not squash that flame in someone else. And help us to light our own flame everywhere we go. Help us to live our lives as a reflection of who you are and what you have done for us. And if we know what you've done for us, it should be our passionate desire to share that with others. Help us to do that. Help us to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Guys, we have, we have prayer team here today. They're going to be in the back. If you need prayer for anything from healing, finances, your faith, anything that you need, they're in the back and they would love to pray with you. We're going to go into communion right now. And communion, the way we do it, we have self-serve back against the wall. You can serve yourself. And up here, we'll have two stations over here. And over here, where we'll serve you wine with the bread or the cracker. And you just dip it in the wine, take it like that. You don't have to be a member of this church or anything like that to take communion with us. Jesus says, do it every time you get together. The only thing you have to do is you have to be able to, in your heart, take communion and say, yes. Jesus, all the things that you teach... All the things that you died to give me, that freedom, I'm not going to squander it. In fact, I'm going to use it to help bring life to those who are perishing. You need to be thankful in your heart that he did that for you and accept communion in that way and in that heart. And let's do that now as we worship on together. Amen. Thank you, guys.